Hello there and welcome to In Your Own Kin. I'm your host Charlotte. I'm a lover of great food, sometimes artist, sleep-in advocate, storyteller, mama and postpartum professional in Nam, Melbourne. Each week I'll be chatting to families about their journey into parenthood, the grandest of adventures. Parenting is beautiful, messy, sparkly, hard work. You were never meant to do this alone. It's time to get comfy in your own kin. In Your Own Kin acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land where you are listening to today's episode. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and recognise that the telling of stories has happened here since time immemorial. In Your Own Kin is recorded by the Birurung on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has not and is not ceded and it remains stolen. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In this week's episode, Rafferty shares their parenthood journey. Raf's story is beautiful and raw and truly powerful. It was such an honour to listen to their journey so far. Raf reflects on the magic that happens when you show up as your true self, the power of finding your kinship network, the need for radical community care, and the profound transformation that comes with parenthood. Raf speaks openly and honestly about their anxiety and mental health journey. Raf's experience highlights the opportunities for growth and improvement in the system and the need for holistic care and support. Raf shares that they haven't heard a story like their own, and our hope is that today's episode will remind you that you are never alone. If you or someone you love is seeking mental health support, you can find links to a range of organizations in today's show notes. Raf speaks so beautifully about how they deserve good care. You deserve good care. We all deserve good care. Raf reflects on family life now with their three children and partner Theo. Listening to Raf speak about co-creating a life with Theo will give you all of the prickly eyes. Rest assured, this one is going to have you asking, where's my veggie daddy? Here's Raf. Rafferty, it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Mm, I am trepidatious and a little <laughs> bit nervous, but very, very pleased to be here. I'm excited to share my story. Would you like to let the listeners know a little bit about yourself, who's in your family and where you're living at the moment? So I live in Melbourne North Reservoir with my partner, Theo, in a queer relationship. I have three small children who I share custody with my ex-husband and they I have them two days a week, which is my parenting arrangement. And um, I'm sure we'll talk about that some more. I am a postpartum doula and I've been a doula for six years now. And it has connected me to my community of people who have become my kin, my family, Mm. um, because my family of origin have not met me in the way that I've wanted to be met and supported through my parenting. So I definitely situate myself within that community. 
Mm. And I'm a foodie. My best work happens through feeding other people. And I believe that the best connection happens through food and food is medicine. And I just live and breathe food and cooking and eating and celebrating and yeah, coming together over food. Um, I'm a punk. I'm an anarchist. I care a lot about social justice, but perhaps not in the typical way. And yeah, that's me. Oh my gosh. Yes. Food is also my love language. I feel like if we could all just be connecting over food, we'd be living in a different world, right? Absolutely. And if we just cared for each other by providing food, we would have the communities that we crave. Yeah, totally. It's such a simple way of building and investing in communities to share food. Yeah, it just breaks down all of those barriers. Absolutely. I agree. And that's why I like to mostly, I'm not vegan, but I try to, any recipes that I share and food that I make, I try to make sure it's vegan so it's dairy free and as many people can consume it as possible. Raf, would you like to take us back to pre-parenthood? Tell us a little bit about Raf before. Ha, well, that is a great question. So I've changed my name through my parenting journey. My name used to be Phoebe and... I was very, uh, what is the word? I don't know, very shut down, quite numb, quite disconnected from myself and my desires and my interests. I thought I was straight. I grew up in the outer East, which was very, like a very misogynistic, hetero area, you know, queerphobic and whatnot. So I had spent a lot of time trying to fit in, I was very lonely and isolated and disconnected despite being surrounded by people. Like I've always identified as an extrovert, like a raging extrovert. I thought that I had connections, but it was all very surface level and not very deep. I was mostly just very bored and very sad. So motherhood cracked me open, woke me up and it was beautiful, but also shocking and alarming and disturbing. Becoming a parent was a bit of a wake-up call to myself that I was not living my best life or in alignment with who I actually am. Mm, Such Mm. a transformative time, isn't it? I feel like you sum it up so perfectly, Raph, that like cracking open Mm -hmm. is so profound. So profound and... I wish I'd been more supported through it. I wish I hadn't have had to build my community from the ground up in the pits of hell postpartum times and that it had been formed through puberty and adolescence and childhood and like, you know, on an ancestral level that I hadn't have had to carve it out when I needed it and instead already had it built in. Yeah. you know, we have to start somewhere. I'm aware that that is not how the world is set up. But yeah, I feel I do have a lot of grief and like disappointment and frustration that it had to be the way that it was. Feels like we've moved so far away from this sense of togetherness and community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's terrible. It really breaks my heart. At what point did you think that you might start a family, Raf? Is that something that you spoke about? I grew up in a blended family of 
five children and growing up in this like very heteronormative area where I didn't quite fit in. It never occurred to me that I would be somebody that would get married and have children. And then I met my ex-husband and it just felt like the next logical step of like, cool, we're together, we're adults. I guess we get married. I guess we have children. We talked about getting pregnant and just like seeing what would happen. And we fell pregnant straight away. I fell pregnant straight away. So the kind of the time that we had set aside to like sit with what would happen was sort of cut short by becoming immediately pregnant within the first cycle. And then I became very, very sick in my pregnancy, I probably had undiagnosed hypermesis. Mm. I vomited every single day after every single meal, you know, sometimes 30, 50 times a day. Oh, but rough. I also put on 30 kilos because I could keep down Diet Coke and fried potatoes. And the only thing that stopped the nausea was eating. So it's hard to tell if I actually had hypermesis or whatever, but I was very, very unwell. And then, so it was just like, there was no, none of it was really occurring consciously. It was just like Mm. survival mode from the very beginning. Were there other people that were having children in your community at that point? Or were you feeling like you were just soldiering on alone? In my real life community, in the real world, I was the first person in my community of my age to fall pregnant and have a baby. Nobody else was really getting married. Nobody else was really definitely thinking about babies. I was 23. So we were kind of the first and somebody mentioned to me that there are online pregnancy groups. And then I found my, like my August baby group. And then suddenly I had this online group of like pocket pals in my phone that I suddenly had this connection to over this shared experience of pregnancy and birth and postpartum. And it was, it was actually really addictive because I hadn't experienced that kind of depth of connection in my real life ever. And I just fell in love with these women and these relationships and caring about birth and all of these things. So that was where like my seed was planted for, you know, caring about community and caring about women and connection and mothering and birth and all of those things. So powerful. I think when you find your people, things just kind of align and fall into place, even amongst this shit show. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I feel like I've even evolved so much more since then. And that has that like that is why all of this has been quite so alarming is I keep on the more I keep meeting myself, I'm like, holy shit, I am way more radical than I ever set out to be. Fuck, can we put the brakes on, please? This is a lot. And it's just like, oh, actually, nah, this is me. This is great. Let's keep going. But ah! let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's go back to pregnancy. How are you tracking emotionally? You were feeling really, really unwell physically. How are you tracking mentally and emotionally? Mentally and emotionally, I was probably okay. Like Mm. definitely nervous to be giving birth because it was, it was an unknown to me. I was a forcep delivery and my mother had told me that birth is excruciating, but I was also had all these women in my baby group who valued birth, 
but I did have a lot of fear of the unknown and I had all these beliefs around how I would parent and we were going to use cloth nappies and do attachment parenting, but it was really all very meta and, you know, it's hard to think about how you're going to apply these things when you've literally never seen it in action in the sense that I actually didn't know what I was in for. I didn't have a lot of concern because I kind of figured it would just work out because that's how it's meant to, right? You're meant to just get on with it. And I figured that I would just be able to get on with it. And that parenthood would just somehow fit in with this life that you'd already created. Yeah, totally. And that, you know, I wouldn't that my life wouldn't change that much, except that we would have a new baby and that he would just fit into our lives. And then his birth was just pretty meh. Like I had a plan that I wanted a vaginal birth and, but I, you know, I'd booked in at the hospital with just like, you know, I just had like midwife roulette and I can hear my voice going up and up and up because I am just so mad that my first birth had to be just so blur. Like it wasn't traumatic in that anything went horrifically, terribly wrong, but I was not treated as a divine human being giving birth as a rite of passage. And my husband was afraid because he just wanted to trust the hospital. My son was born at 40 weeks and six days. And I was told I was bad at pushing, which is ironic because my mother was told she was bad at pushing. And it was just not how it could have been. But I did have this sense through all of that, that had I been supported in a meaningful way, I could have done it powerfully And I think that that became a bit of the driving force behind becoming pregnant again so quickly. So I had rapid repeat second pregnancy. I was pregnant again when my son was 16 weeks old. And I think part of that was was coming from a place of desperately wanting a do-over. Like I have beliefs, whether or not they're actually like in quotes true, I had beliefs that the way I gave birth to my first son affected breastfeeding and affected my recovery. And because I, you know, I had a second degree tear that needed to heal And I just had beliefs that if I could do it again and do it better, again, in quotes, then I would, you know, be, um, what's the word here? Raf and I spent the next few minutes searching for the perfect fit. It was definitely a case of Virgo meets Virgo. Later, Raf landed on redemption. That if I had a, a chance to do over, that everything would be okay because I had also experienced a lot of grief around the fact that my birth wasn't quite what I had hoped it be, and a lot of grief that I'd been unable to breastfeed my son. Even though I know now that the reason that those things weren't possible was because I didn't have enough support. I still blamed myself, I suppose, because we are just expected to be able to do these things. And then I went on to have my second pregnancy where I was far less ill, but still definitely had a lot of morning sickness and some vomiting. It definitely wasn't as bad. That time I was surrounded by other mothers through mother's group pregnancy group through online mothers groups and just like starting to meet people through my children 
through my son. And that was so beautiful because finally I was actually connecting with people with more shared values and shared interests beyond, you know, music, alcohol, going out, you know. So my mental health in lots or so in lots of ways I was more supported emotionally, but I still didn't have the like physical support that I needed, like the practical support that I needed to like get through a rapid repeat pregnancy and be looking after a small child. My second pregnancy, I got into the MGP program at the Mercy and had the most incredible midwife who I left our first meeting being like, yes, I am excited to push a baby out of my vagina because I can. And she was like, yeah, you can. And so like, that was like, that was the attitude that I went into birthing my second son. And I went on to birth him in like, even though it was in the hospital, it still, you know, to me, it was like a truly empowered experience it was truly beautiful he was born in sack because oh. my waters had never been broken and my labor was like three and a half hours and I birthed him within 15 minutes of arriving at the hospital and it was just like such a radically different experience to the first but I think where where I had sort of set myself up to fail some was believing that if I had a radically different birth to my first, that that would mean that breastfeeding would be easy. I would be able to mother differently and that everything was kind of like everything would be okay if I had a better birth. And the thing is, right, is like my first son was a really chill, in quotes, easy, good in quotes, baby, where like he slept when I needed him to sleep. And even though he was bottle fed, like feeding was fine and solids was fine. He was just lovely, chill, easy baby, even though we'd had that kind of like shitty birth. And then yeah, my second baby was born beautifully and born peacefully into the world. And he was furious and very unsettled. And like he breastfed until he was two. So breastfeeding him was meant to be this like beautiful experience and this beautiful healing experience, except that I was the only person that could settle him or be with him without him screaming in distress. And whilst I absolutely believe in supporting and, you know, holding up the mother-baby diet, I needed other people who I could trust to take care of my baby. Yes. And I didn't have that. And this is why building communities, building strong, you know, deeply connected communities to me is so important is because I don't believe that the mother-baby dyad is the most important thing. I believe we need lots of other adults or even older children who Mm -hmm. are available to help take care of the baby as a way of taking care of the mother. And I just couldn't leave him without him experiencing extreme distress, which of course caused me extreme distress. And it was very, very hard. And I feel like we don't support this conversation enough, Raf. You speak about this so beautifully on Instagram. And I think we really need to encourage families or partners to have this conversation before baby arrives. What does... Um, this look like because like a a supportive partner is still a band-aid on a hemorrhage yeah and a supportive partner cannot carry 
the entire responsibility of, you know, the mother, the care of the mother-baby diet. Like we need more than that. We need depth and we need it before. We need these relationships to come before we have our babies and our children. And the, we need the people who are taking care of us to have shared values. Like, the, And I think that's part of the problem where, you know, we have so such low breastfeeding rates is because our mothers didn't breastfeed us and therefore don't understand the value of breastfeeding. And they're, so they're just like not supporting the breastfeeding relationship. They're like, oh, you, you turned out fine. So just give him a bottle. But what we actually need is the people who are surrounding us and holding us to share the values and understand the importance of these things beyond just what is practical in the physical realm and what is important on a spiritual or a physiological level. And I didn't have that until more recent times. Like it was not until, you know, the last few years that I have experienced that like really deep holding for my spiritual and emotional needs, not just my practical or physical needs. And that they're really different and both need constant servicing. Absolutely. So it's been, it's been a bit of a trip. So yeah, my second baby was, I was just so sleep deprived and neither of them were in childcare. I didn't have any familial support. Occasionally I would be able to ask a friend to come and mind the kids for like a couple of hours max whilst I went to doula school, went to run, you know, errands, go to a doctor's appointment. But I even remember like needing to start therapy because my anxiety was really getting out of control and that even being a hassle, finding support to to find people to mind my children so I could go to therapy. Like it shouldn't be that hard. So yeah, it was during that time where like the severe sleep deprivation hit that my mental health started just like really plummeting. And I was just like gripped with anxiety about sleep, asleep especially, and started experiencing really intrusive thoughts about like throwing my baby down the stairs or throwing my baby out the window because I just could not envision how I would get through the day, through another day so fucking depleted. Mm. And were you able and then to I decided to have a third baby. Because that's what we do. Because that's what we do. Were you able to communicate those feelings with people, Raf? Were you able to share that with your partner or anyone else in your trusted kinship support network? Kind of. They heard it and panicked, which was not really the response that I needed. It made me feel like there was something very wrong with me. When what I realize now is that was a very like definitely not a normal response, but a very understandable response to being deeply sleep deprived and deeply unsupported. So when I raised these issues, it was like, fuck, there's something wrong. We need to fix it. And I was like, fuck, there's something wrong with me. I need to be fixed. And I just felt intense amounts of shame. Mm. And I started on antidepressants and therapy and I don't know I got by I just like nothing actually changed like Mm. all that changed was that I was taking meds now but like my support structures didn't change and like yeah in that time like my relationship with my mum had broken down and she so I actually had even less support than I'd begun with oh rough 
Mm. To talk about it all quite so sequentially, I'm like, oh, sometimes I like to tell myself, oh, it wasn't that bad. It was really, really bad. Yeah. It was really bad. And just like, I do want to be clear, like, I loved being a mum. I love being a mum. I love it. I love my children. And I fucking hate doing it with so little support. Because we were never meant to. Yeah. Totally. And I just alternate between like grief and rage because I feel like the lack of support has taken away my mothering and my right to call myself a mother. Like I feel like if, yeah, like I feel punished by lack of support or something. I don't even have the words, but it's just terrible. And yet then I decided to have a third baby and my anxiety by this point had like become a bit of like a gaping wound and I was just so anxious about how I was going to cope and yeah when I was I think 28 weeks pregnant my ex-husband cheated on me at his work Christmas party and by that like that was like the straw that broke broke the camel's back like it was hugely traumatic on its own but on top of everything else I just hit a like a downward spiral and that was four and a half years ago now that I am still recovering from like that event on top of everything else. I have been to rehab for anxiety and depression. I've been hospitalized. Like I just have very, very shitty mental health as a result of these quite intense consecutive fuckery things that have occurred around my parenting and like I've also learned through this process that I also have a lot of like complex childhood trauma stuff it was the fuckery on top of the parenting things that just it was all just come to the surface and it became a hemorrhage that I could not stop on my own parenthood has a way of doing that right indeed like everybody I know has been absolutely cracked wide open Mm. by by their entry into parenthood and I feel very blessed that through the doula community I have found a lot of connection and solidarity with other mothers who have been deeply affected by mothering and they're the women that raised me and held me and showed me that there was a light at the other end of this because I have sat in the darkness for a really long time not believing that there was any way for it to possibly get better. Mm. And I stayed in my marriage I think for 18 months after my son was born just trying to find a way to make it work and it just hit breaking point where I could not go on sacrificing myself for my children. And I absolutely believe that there is some sacrifice involved in mothering. Like I think if we can just accept that there is some sacrifice involved in mothering, the world would be a better place. But I don't think sacrificing your whole self and your entire wellness for your mothering is good or right or fair. Absolutely. So I left and I moved out and I left my children with my ex-husband because I was not okay. And like, I just need to, like, I was going to kill myself mm. if I had to keep living 
with so little support and just living in my brain that was telling me horrible, terrible things all the time because I was not okay, I was going to die. So I left. And what was that like? Uh, It was both exhilarating Mm. because finally I had a bit of space to be myself and, like, live my best queer slut life like I definitely the pendulum swung a little bit and I thought I was like yeah I'm free I was clearly not very well but I had freedom to not be okay and I had freedom to indulge unhealthy coping mechanisms that helped and I had freedom to meet myself again and uncover myself again, underneath all the rubble of fuckery, of putting everybody else before myself. I really had to, like, figure out who the fuck was actually in there. Yeah. Underneath all the the numbness of adolescence and my early 20s and then through sacrificing myself again and again for my children and, like, not even realising that I was gay until I was, like, 30 and not having space to explore my radical beliefs around birth and families and women because they were not acceptable ideas to have in this society. And, like, I couldn't talk about it or think about it in my marriage. So it offered me a lot of freedom, but it was also an intense freefall because I ended up having nowhere to live and because my children stayed with my ex-husband, he got all the parenting payments and I moved around from friends' houses and my parents, but I didn't have a home set up where I could have my children. I was also, when I was having my children, didn't have enough money to like feed them in a way that was integral to my values around food and I was just surviving. Mm. And just trying to keep myself afloat. Yeah. And it made me a terrible person. Like I was not living from my values because I was trying to survive. And then I couldn't handle my children's grief and distress because I couldn't handle my own grief or distress. And like this is where I really, really believe in good spiritual and emotional care for mothers, but we also need our material needs to be met to be able to parent intuitively and powerfully and meaningfully because if you don't have your material needs met, you're kind of flying blind. Absolutely. So I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about the world and I have learned that the world does not value mothers. The world does not value women. And like, even though I knew this, cause like, you know, I'm a feminist. I didn't know this until I lived it and experienced the, the fallout of these societal values for myself. It's been really, really hard and also really, really profound. And I wish that it hadn't have happened the way that I did But I'm also really proud of myself for how far I've come and how I really did claw myself out of the pits of hell, like the pits of my own darkness. And definitely with like full props to the women that supported me through that. Like I just need to shout out 
Lotus and Sarah and like my new friend Emily and also like all the women that I did doula training with and my doula Haley and just there are some there are some women in my life who I would not have made it through this time without I have experienced what it means to be deeply held without judgment and genuine care by these women oh that gives me really prickly eyes because I think like not many of us can say that, Raf. Yeah, and not many of us can. And it is why I believe so strongly in the value of community because community saved me. My community saved me and prevented me from like, I don't know, I can't even imagine where I could have ended up, but they saved me. And I know we talk about like, you know, if you're in the tri- in the like in the healing realm, it's like people don't need saving. People can save themselves. I kind of call bullshit on that. I think we do need saving. Like if we are in a place where we can, we are sinking, not swimming, and saying to somebody, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing really great, is like fucking spiritual bypassing. Like, And I had people throw me lifelines again and again and again. And that is why I will preach the value of community until the cows come home. Because by my asking for help and by my falling in a heap and by my having to be really fucking vulnerable, the community was able to form around me. Talk to me about that time. Talk to me about the community coming around you and the shifts that that allowed. It is still a work in progress. And I definitely do not feel like we live in a world that is conducive to experiencing that fully to its full depth. But I had friends that weren't judging me for leaving and were, in fact, like encouraging me to find myself and reminding me of my power and who were able to share their own stories of trauma and grief and triumph as motivation and encouragement for me to do it myself. And, like, I've learnt so much like psychoeducation from my friends and community education and I have been fed and housed and loved and like had been given places to have my children when I didn't have a home so that I could have meaningful time with them. I've been supported financially, you know, being given, given a room, by give, being given food, by like sharing sharing resources, like, and like mutual aid. I think yeah. it was just like the sharing of resources, whether or not they were, you know, practical life skills or, you know, emotional regulation skills or whatever. It was a sharing of resources that I experienced that really is what felt like community to me without needing to prove myself as worthy because I didn't feel worthy. I felt very fucked up, but they, they proved that I was worthy by providing care regardless of what was going on for me because I needed it. Oh, so powerful, Raph. Yeah, it's, and like it was just... And it was horrific. Like it was terrifying. But I have got to a point now where I know that if shit falls apart again, or like, you know, I I think like I always feel a little bit at risk of things falling apart when I have a couple of, you know, consecutively bad days that I can sort of tell myself now that even though things still feel wobbly and they might fall apart, 
we now know, we, me, my parts, we know that we have people who we can ask for help, who will help to resource us. I won't need to hit that rock bottom again because I've got that cushioning. Talk to me about the meeting of you, the meeting of all of those parts. Oh, it's been confronting. I'm awesome. (laughs) Fuck yeah. I'm hilarious. I'm radical. I'm slutty. (laughs) I am messy. I'm very, very mental and very, very anxious. And like, I don't like all the parts that I've met. I can be controlling and manipulative and I have, I'm a Virgo. I have a deep sense a deep desire to be in control of all the things because like I have OCD and I have all these things, but I also know that I'm deeply compassionate and I know that showing up for people regardless of what's going going on for them is like a part of my identity now. Like mm. I've discovered like the core parts of my identity that was sort of overshadowed by the expectations of society Like I'm a person that shows up for other people, but I'm also a person that can receive help. And I'm a person that can have deeply intimate relationships now because I'm not hiding 90% of who I am behind my everything is fine face, which has just allowed for so many more like authentic relationships. And I know that you know, we're meant to, our identities are meant to exist outside of our relationships. But I see myself, like if I see myself reflected back in the people around me, yeah, I'm very, very okay with the people I'm surrounded by. Yeah. And I see my caring parts reflected back at me. I see my radical parts reflected back at me. I see my parts that are messy and complicated and like awkward as fuck and judgmental reflected back at me in my friends as well. But yeah, I just am like, cool. If being myself truly has got me here around these people, that's good enough for me. Like these are people who I know trust me to care for and love their children. And that these are people who know that they can ask for me for help And I know that they all love my children fiercely and will mother with me and mother my children. And whilst I do wish in some ways I had more men in my life that could do some of this work, I'm very, very grateful for these women. I do not feel like I'm lacking by not having many relationships with men anymore, though there's, you know, some sadness and grief and frustration there too. But that's probably a different conversation. Let's talk about that discovery of your queer self and finding Mm. your partner. So Lotus and I became friends when her babe was four weeks old and mine was like three months. Yeah, we just clicked and connected and she was one of, she's definitely one of the women who has really changed my life in ways I never expected She is very passionate about community as well and was living in a share house with her husband and child and a few other people. And Theo was one of them. Yeah, we knew each other, but I was sort of married and a hot mess and she was in a relationship with somebody else and we just kind of were friends. 
yeah, didn't think much of it. And then we were just at a party, like at a picnic, and we just clicked and it was like, oh, hey, what's up? Because <laughs> um, I definitely had had like other casual relationships with women, but nothing serious. And prior to Theo, I'd had a relationship with a lovely trans man, but it was still like being in a relationship with a man just because of like societal conditioning and social narratives. So, yeah, to be in an intimate relationship with a woman has been truly, truly beautiful and one of the most challenging things that I've ever done because it is hard to have a relationship when you do not have the social scripts on how it goes. And, like, gender roles, sure, kind of annoying, but also really useful to have a relationship (laughs) because you know your roles. We didn't have that. Throw in the fact that we're both genderqueer. Like, it has been such a head fuck trying to figure out our roles in our relationship. And how do you do that? How do you carve that out? How do you create that how do you co-create that together it's hard we it's really hard I don't know if we have mastered it I think it means for us accepting that our relationship is never going to be easy or perfect I think it means asking for help if we were in like a cis hetero relationship it would sort of be more implied Mm. so it means like getting really clear on what I want and learning to ask for it. And same for her. It's been a real roller coaster. We are wildly in love and it is deeply challenging. We've also both found out through the process that when you're a diverse or like not neurotypical, we're just trying to find our way through the world and managing to keep coming together has been hard. But also there are so many gifts to being in a relationship with a woman. Like we get to bleed together without having to be like you know, explain the values of like cycling. We just get that. Both of us get that. And, you know, we have like, we love thrifting and we love having a beautiful home and we love interior design things. And like, these are interests that I've never been able to share with any other partners before. So like we can sit in circle together. For me, I have found it to be a much more spiritually and emotionally satisfying relationship, but it's been like the practical things and the logistical things that have been so much more challenging. So yeah, I feel like, like since like just back to the mothering thing, I feel like every single step of the way, it's just been like polarity, like sacrificing one thing for the other end of the spectrum. And I feel like as I'm growing older and becoming more mature, everything is slowly starting to come back to like more central or like more neutral territory. But yeah, my experience of mothering and like my queerness was to swing wildly from one to the other and then trying to find my individual sweet spot for all of those things where I can sit in integrity as myself without needing to throw any parts away the meeting of those parts yeah yeah totally and like them not scaring each other off yeah because I didn't think that I could have queer relationships and be a mother. I didn't, you know, I was married with children. I didn't think that I had any space in me, in my life to explore my queerness. And then I dove in the other way. And now I'm trying to be like, hey guys, 
queer parts and like mother parts, you guys can actually coexist. We're the same like, person. <laughs> we're the same person. And like mothering through queerness is really beautiful. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. So yeah, it's been a trip. And I would really like the pendulum to slow and steady into center. I do feel that that is happening. Like it's coming. It's definitely, I have not, and you know, I don't think we ever fully arrive, but I've not fully arrived at stable yet, but I definitely feel myself heading much more in that direction than I've ever been because when my life looked stable, I was deeply unhappy and very numb and disconnected from myself. And it, so it's, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying finding that middle ground. Mm, like actually being true to yourself and being brave enough to step away from this idea of what you thought your life was going to look like to mm-hmm. actually fully embracing the most beautiful version of your life and that doesn't mean that it's a perfect version it's probably going to be messy as heck but like actually embracing your true self is so important and I think any parent could see themselves in that my gosh I know I can yeah I I, so I ended up in the hospital in December after I had a bit of a, a breakdown and Lotus sat on my bed with me and I was like I used to be well I used to be able to like do the things that I needed to get through the day. Mm. Like I used to cook and love food and to cook and I can't even do that anymore. And she very kindly reminded me that that old part of myself that was able to do that was still in there. And I just needed to rekindle that part. So it was that comment. And then Jessica Prescott had... Mm. 100 days of salad Instagram challenge and it was great and I was just like oh my gosh I can just do salads and I just started doing salads and it was like feeding that part of myself again and I've just found by like bringing back part of those like those like nurturing mother parts into my queerness which I feel like my like my beliefs around radical care and radical community are informed by my queerness but then to feed in food like to weave food in around that as well I'm like oh here I am I found it I've arrived (laughs) yes oh my gosh it gives me goosebumps Raph so that's me I am a mess but it's a beautiful mess and I have so much lived experience to offer and so much compassion to anybody who is like, what the fuck is this mothering thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm like, quotes, <laughs> I feel you, babe. <laughs> totally. Let's talk a little bit about Veggie Daddy because, first of all, as soon as I stumbled across that, I was just like, F, yes, who is this person and how do I get them in my life? This is brilliant. Why did I DM like you did? That's exactly how. <laughs> totally. Talk to me about the birth of Veggie Daddy. Oh, my gosh. So Veggie Daddy was born out of lockdown where my friends started sliding into my DMs to, oh, I should just, so I am also openly kinky. And my friends started sliding into my DMs being like, 
hey, veggie daddy, I ate a vegetable or I ran an errand that I've been putting off. Please like validate me, praise me and bless me, veggie daddy. (laughs) And I was like, fuck, yes. More people just need to be lovingly topped into taking good care of themselves. And we live in a world where taking good care of yourself is not celebrated. So to actively be celebrating and praising people for like taking good care and making good decisions um, to fill their own cups, I was like, yes, totally. This is where my best work is. And being genderqueer, it's a fun play on words and it encompasses my, my passion for taking good care through food. And I very nearly quit doula work at the beginning of the year. I was like, this is fucked. I hate this. Nothing is changing. The system is fucked. And Veggie Daddy was just going to be a meal subscription. And as I was doing that, a few friends, I was doulering just like as community work. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot quit this work. I can absolutely not quit this work. This work is my life's work. So Veggie Daddy became the container in which I could do doula work from a place of boundaries and being excited and feeling really, really empowered. And I wanted it to be playful and fun and meaningful and like to have a lot of structure. So it's, for me, it's like the the in-between place between, or, you know, the existence of both the masculine and the feminine, because that's how I, that's how I feel in myself. and yeah it is just a place for radical community care yeah I often refer to myself as like Molly Weasley of the revolution (laughs) and if Molly's conduit of magic is like a wand and a cauldron mine is like a wooden spoon and my thermomix like food food is like what draws people to me and then I come at them with like, oh, you need radical community. I know I'm feeding you soup and you really need good soup. But more than good soup, you need radical community care. And then, you know, so it's like the food is the entry point to the radical conversations because we need radicalizing perspectives to mothering. I think it's so interesting that giving yourself the space to explore that creativity through food again allowed Mm -hmm. you to awaken or awaken reawaken that doula side of you as well and it speaks so perfectly to this like the space to just be and to truly be yourself Mm -hmm. so it was a yeah it was like veggie daddy is the middle ground between the mother the doula and the cook yeah yeah it's a lovely little synthesis it's yeah I love it I love it so much and I've just had such positive reception to veggie daddy and I was worried that the that the queerness would scare people off but I think lots of people want more queerness in their worlds totally people just want authentic versions of other people because seeing someone else be their authentic self gives, gives you, permission you the permission to be your authentic self totally yeah so i feel important. that yeah oh my yeah. gosh so the trauma train really led to a beautiful place like there has definitely been post traumatic growth and veggie daddy is absolutely the sparkling result of the fuckery. 
talk to me about family life now, Raf. What does family life look like for you? Uh, family life looks like having my kids two or three days a week and it means always sitting around our dining table for dinner and most of our family life revolves around food and eating pancakes or tacos or pasta and it's a lot more peaceful and grounded because I know that I will get rest afterwards and before and I have time and space to prepare myself practically and emotionally for when they're coming and it means sharing my partner and I sharing old movies from our childhood with the kids and spending a lot of time in nature, by the creek, at the park, camping with the boys, and just like actually sharing my life, sharing things about life that I want them to know. Like I used to talk about like wanting to take the kids camping when I was married, but like I just couldn't execute it. Well, now I really know the value of spending time in nature and, you know, spending time with the earth. So I make it happen. So we spend a lot of time outside. We spend a lot of time with our chosen family, with our community family, just like hanging out at each other's houses, eating dinner together. Even if we, we don't always all have our kids, we all come together to be with the children because, you know, there's a lot of blended families in my community. And it's beautiful. It's hard. And I had them all week for the school holidays last week. And I think that was the longest stretch that I had had them since I left. And it was hard, but it was really beautiful. It was really cool to realise that all the work that I had done had meant something and that I could spend a week with them without my brain melting down and without my nervous system being so activated that all I could do was cry, you know, and that I got to actually connect with them in meaningful ways and have conversations that sort of like built on conversations from the day before and so on and so on and so on. So yeah, it was nice to have them for the whole week and then, yeah, realise how far we've all come. Oh, Raph. How can people connect in with you, Raf? How can they find you on Insta and all of those? Um, so Instagram is Veggie Daddy Jula Services. I do have a website coming, hopefully in the next week, which will be VeggieDaddy.com. But yeah, Instagram is the best place to find me currently. And you are all so welcome to slide into my DMs. Thank you so much for inviting me on to In Your Kin and giving me the space to create my story because I was saying in our interview preamble that I often feel a bit nervous sharing my story because I've not heard any stories like mine Mm -hmm. but I think it's a really important story to go out into the world for anybody who is experiencing extreme hardship as a result of mothering you are not alone and you deserve good care and community holding no matter where you're at, what you think you've done, what stories society is telling about you. You deserve good care. I deserved good care. Mm, Yeah, we all deserve good care. We all deserve good care. 
Oh, Raf, you are an absolute delight. I have so enjoyed chatting with you today. And thank you so much for trusting me with your story. It feels like such a privilege to be let into your journey so far. So thank you. Oh, my, my pleasure. Really, really thank you. It's been lovely to chat. Yeah, I've told my story in a couple of different ways to a couple of different people. And each time I experience a small sense of like letting go, like a shedding of like, this is not a story to be ashamed of. So thank you again for the space and the the beautiful non-judgmental holding. Thank you, Raph. It is such a joy to share these stories with you each week. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review or share it with someone in your very own kin. You can see all of the gorgeous images of the families that join me each week and get the latest news from Kin on Instagram at Kin by Charlotte. I can't wait to chat with you next week. Mm